You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. <laughs> 1800s that play. Good weekend of games. Not great, but the AFC games were great. And we come in also with, I think, a top 10 rock song of all time. The spirit of radio, Rush, Neil Pert, passed away at the age of 67 years old on Friday. Arguably the greatest drummer uh, in history, a jazz drummer to start with. You know, Aaron, you know my son Corbin, who's mm-hmm. a musician. He's a drummer, a guitar player. He really uh, it was started on the drums, and he was devastated on Friday. I know you were, too, because you're a big Rush fan. Um, I am, as well, a genius. I mean, one of those guys that most people in music you know, will refer to, sometimes it gets overblown, as sort of a musical uh, genius. Um, most people think either he, he or John Bonham, uh, you know, I, there are others, I understand that, um, in terms of the greatest drummers of all time. If you want to see something that's just off the charts, because all of these videos were making the rounds all weekend long, that 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 drum solo, um, that performance that he put on on the Letterman show like eight or nine years yeah. ago was just outrageous. Um, but it's sad because no one even knew that he had brain cancer. He, he, he kept it very private. And one of those bands that, you know, I was not into as a young person. My younger brother was, um, but got into more like 20, you know, 20 years ago and have been a big fan ever since. I mean, it's just, you know, it's that incredible, you know, change of time signatures, all that stuff in, in their music. And Neil Peart was the genius behind it, although Getty Lee's considered to be certainly one of the great bass players of all time as well. But great band um, and uh, rip, uh, you know, Neil Peart. Uh, the reaction for his passing on Friday, we've seen this so many times over the last couple of years, but for a drummer in a band in particular, it was incredible. Social media was I, I on think Friday and just, Saturday. He's one of, you know, people say what they say about Rush. Some people like him, some people don't. But everyone acknowledged just how good he was. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, all right, let's get to these games. Uh, what a weekend. You know, the d- divisional round. The two AFC games were obviously the highlights um, although the Green Bay-Seattle game was great. The low light of the weekend was the first game, the, the San Francisco-Minnesota game. Even though it was a 14-10 to 10 game at halftime, got out of control. San Francisco was the much better team. I'll, I'll address that right now if you want um, because I know a lot of people out there are sitting there waiting to hear me you know, uh, c- come up with my – hold on, let me get my list of excuses for Kirk. Uh, here it is. Uh, I've been working on it all weekend long, and yeah, here we are. Ten, the top ten excuses as to why Kirk Cousins lost the playoff game. I'm not going to – to do that. Um, I, I'll just say this. If you really believe that he was the number one reason they lost that game, you are really, really, you're limited in your ability to sort of analyze an NFL game. That game was so one-sided in every single phase of the game, San Francisco was better. Would an elite quarterback put his team on their back and lead them into a into a win in San Francisco? No. The answer is no to that. Kirk isn't an elite quarterback, so he never had a chance. 
But Aaron Rodgers got his ass kicked there about a month and a half ago on a Sunday night. Had 75 yards passing until late in the game on a garbage drive. He picked up another 25 and finished with 102 yards passing. Aaron Rodgers and got sacked five times against that defense. That defense got healthy Saturday. They had K1 Alexander back, D Ford back. They had um, Tart back. Three guys that had been missing as they gave up some big yardage and points down the stretch. The last time that defense was completely healthy was that Green Bay game. San Francisco's really good, well-coached, defensively, so fast. We've been talking about them since week three or four, about how good they were defensively. And they were fully healthy, and Minnesota had no shot, none. Um, Especially with the game plan they had, because that offensive game plan was really bad. Yeah, well, look, this is what they have been under Zimmer. They've been a very conservative team. You know, last year when they made the coaching change and then put Stefanski in there, who, who's now a head coach, and Pat Shermer's going to um, uh, Denver. So Is, is the Jay Stefanski Gr- thing official yet? I thought it was. Uh, it may not be official, official, but I thought Stefanski got the Cleveland job. Am I, I wrong that, about that? that? Was, I mean, that was the talk. I don't know if that had been official, official yet. Well, whatever. Um, yeah. How about Jay Gruden to Minnesota next year as the offensive coordinator reuniting I with was, Kirk and That Zimmer. was a very early thought I had. Um, I don't think it'll happen. I think it actually should. I think the two of them were um, – I think Kirk runs his offense well. I think Jay didn't have anybody other than Kirk while he was in Washington that ran it well. Um, so I actually think it would be a good reuniting. I don't think that they are super fond of each other. Um, but anyway, um, Minnesota got their ass kicked. Yes, the game plan, a little bit too conservative for me. I would have mixed it up. The constant trying to throw screens against to, that defense. to nullify yes. the pass rush just wasn't working against that kind of speed because their recovery was so good. Um, the Minnesota offensive line has been a sieve at times this year, so that, that they got overwhelmed, and they couldn't run the football. If you want to look at one thing, if you're a Minnesota fan, as to why they didn't uh, win the game or compete in the game, Dalvin Cook, nine carries, 18 yards. 21 yards rushing against San Francisco. It wasn't going to work out uh, at all. Um, they couldn't protect. They, they, I would have been more aggressive. I would have thrown them in shotgun, gone hurry up, and thrown real short. You know, not screen short, but uh, tightened it up against, especially against the uh, the cover two at times that he was looking at uh, the two deep. Um, but look, I mean, what are we going to do here? I mean, it's a, I, I tweeted this out. I think I tweeted it out. It's a pendulum with him. You know, it's one week. It's here. Woo, my God, look at how good he is. And the next week it's here. Look at how bad he is. You know, they did throw up a stat about his <clears throat> um, record uh, against teams with winning records. You know his quarterback rating is the exact same against – actually, it's a little bit better, I think it was, against good teams that he lost to versus the bad teams that he's beaten. Um, it's a dependent game. He is a good quarterback, period. He's not an elite quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He's somewhere in my book between 8 and 12, somewhere in that range. Um, you want to put him at 15, 16, I think that's way too low. Um, and I think if you put a good team around him, you, you can win. And I think if you play a defense that isn't the 49er defense, he's going to perform well, see, last week against the Saints, whose defense actually isn't that bad either. Um, let's talk about the games that were better uh, this weekend. So um, the Chiefs-Houston game was, I think, one of the most electrifying, fast-break 
pace, high pace, fast paced games in the first half that I've ever watched. There's one game, and I'll give it to you in a moment, that to me matches it in playoff history. Uh, going from 24 to nothing in a matter of minutes to 28 24 in a matter of minutes was breathtaking. It was so good. I mean, if you're a football fan, it's a playoff game, and you see what happened in that first half, you're like, whoa. I mean, how many times have you ever watched a game like that? 24 nothing, courtesy of drop passes by Kansas City, and then a blocked punt return, a muff punt that set up for a touchdown. But Houston also moved the football. Mm-hmm. and had a 54-yard touchdown pass on third and one on the opening drive. Had another long drive that ended up in a field goal. They were dominating the game. Kansas City, some of it was self-inflicted, but they were dominating the game. And then you got the kickoff return at 24 to nothing. And if you want to go back two plays earlier to the decision to kick the field goal on fourth and one. I actually was okay with that decision. I'm going to surprise you and tell you that I didn't think Bill O'Brien had anything to do with losing that game yesterday. I think Patrick Mahomes had a lot to do with Houston losing that game yesterday because the two critical calls that Bill O'Brien made, the not going for the fourth down up 21 nothing in the second quarter, in a fourth-and-one situation, I thought was the right call. I didn't think they should give Kansas City any chance to get life. Kicking the field goal would have kept the onslaught going. They kicked the field goal, they took a 24 to nothing lead. And then on the fake punt decision at 24 to 7, I actually thought it was a really good feeling the moment risk that was worth taking by O'Brien. It's fourth and four, balls at their own 31 yard line. Kansas City has scored after a big kickoff return and then a touchdown to make it 24 to 7, and they've gotten a three and out. And I just thought, I felt watching the game starting to turn a little bit here. And O'Brien had a, a fake punt called, and this guy Sorensen made a phenomenal play. It was wide open if he can elude Sorensen. Yeah. He's still running. Oh, it was it was absolutely a great play. I guess the question would be, if, if you thought it was a good kind of feeling the moment and, and stopping momentum there, why wasn't it good at fourth and one? Because Kansas City hadn't started to take any momentum, and I didn't want to give them the momentum. Some See, people it, it, would say that by kicking the momentum, you lost your. Or I, you kicking the. I don't, I you lost your no, I think I think a fourth down stop would have would have given giving them the opportunity for a fourth down stop would have potentially given them some life. They had no life. Kicking the field goal to make it twenty four to nothing didn't give them new life. I didn't think. I thought they got the life on that kickoff return, uh, and then that touchdown, and then the three and out. Now they've really started to gain some momentum, and I thought it would have been brilliant. I thought it was a, a risk worth taking, and if they had pulled it off, they would have recaptured that momentum and maybe gone on to take a 27-7 lead or maybe even 31-7 because the ball would have been at midfield. You know, if Sorensen doesn't make that play, oh, he's yeah. at the 50-plus. I, I actually I agree with you there. I think it was a w- risk worth taking, but I also think it was a risk worth taking up 21 nothing. I just didn't I, – I just think at 21 nothing, you had much more to lose by missing than you did in the fake punt situation. And the fake punt offered more upside, um, and that was making it to sort of – regain um, where you were. Anyway, and also at more downside because of where it was on the field. That's true. That's true. It, and that's what made it risky, you know, because <laughs> if the ball's at the Kansas City 45-yard line, I might think about going for it on fourth and three or fourth and four. <clears throat> Although I wouldn't have been that spot. I would have I definitely punted. Um, the special teams plays in the first half, 
The block punt return, the muffed punt recovered, the big kickoff returned by Coleman at 24 nothing. Huge play. The Chiefs stop on the fake punt that we were just talking about. Then the fumbled kickoff return at 24 to 14. My God, have you ever seen so many impactful special teams plays in one half of football? I mean, everything about that first half was just like, have you ever seen, it's, you know, this? Have you? I mean, and then Mahomes gets on a roll, and Houston couldn't stop him, and Houston lost um, what's-his-face in the secondary, and that hurt him a little bit, um, and it just was an onslaught. The funny thing about that game is at halftime, I didn't think Houston was out of it down four. Down four, of course, he, they're not out of it score-wise, but the momentum had turned. They missed the field goal at the end of the half, too. That would have made it 28-27. Um I just felt like Houston could move the football. You know what I mean? Like I, I never thought when, when you when you're watching a game like that and you feel like the other team in Kansas City has a really good defense and Houston's not going to be able to move the ball, to possess the ball, to score with the ball, then you don't think they have a chance after they've given up 28 unanswered. But the thing about that game is I felt like Houston would be able to move the ball and score points in the second half, and they they had the one touchdown drive at 41-24 to get it to, to a 41-31. Um, and then they, they moved the ball, you know, the other portions of the second half too, but just could not close the deal. And it just got out of hand because Kansas City scored on scored, scored touchdowns on seven consecutive possessions, most, on, most in, in postseason history. They scored points on eight consecutive possessions. They had a field goal on that last one. Um they're the first team in, in NFL playoff history to trail by at least 20 points and then win by at least 20 points in the same game. And if you had Houston plus 10 like I did, oh boy. Because up 24 to nothing, you know, that's one of those conversations, Aaron. I know you've thought about this before. Damn, I should have put more on this game. You know, at 20, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, at oh, 24 yeah. to nothing, you're like, damn, why? I love Houston today plus 10. Why didn't I bet more on this game? Well, you know, you, 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 good thing you didn't. Um, anyway, um, they they scored so fast and furious in that first half that it was literally like a long version of the tomahawk chop chant that just never seemed to stop, which I just found really amusing because, of course, you know, we've had the conversation about the Redskins team name. And yet, you know, in Atlanta for the Braves and in Kansas City for the Chiefs and at Florida State Seminole games, they openly mock Native Americans with the tomahawk chop chant. It's just it's hysterical to me that that never gets the attention that the Redskins name gets. But anyway, I digress. The game to me that is the all-time greatest NFL postseason game I've ever watched and was similar to yesterday's game first half-wise is the Chargers-Dolphins epic in Miami game January of 1982. The single most thrilling, best played, most dramatic NFL playoff game for me. That's that's always been my number one. January 2nd, 1982, Chargers with Dan Fouts, Kellen Winslow, Wes Chandler, Charlie Joyner. John Jefferson wasn't on that team. Um, against the Dolphins, who did not have Marino at that point, and came in off the bench with Don Strock. Okay, and 
San Diego got off to a 24 to nothing first quarter lead, first quarter lead similar to the Houston thing, 24 nothing and you think the game's over. And then the Dolphins came back like the Chiefs did, not with 28 unanswered but with 17 unanswered including a play at the end of that first half in the Orange Bowl that day, um, the hitch and pitch where uh, Strock throws it to Duriel Harris, he catches it, pitches it back to Tony Nathan on the final play of the first half, Nathan takes it in, place is going nuts, it's 24-17 at halftime, the Dolphins are back in the game and the Dolphins actually scored after trailing 24 to nothing 38 of the game's next 45 points you know not 41 in a row like Kansas City but 38 of the next 45 the difference between that game in 1982 following the 81 season and yesterday's game is the second half of that game was just as good as the first half the Dolphins came back, took the lead, then San Diego came back, tied it up. The game went to overtime, and San Diego uh, eventually won the game 41-38 to in overtime. And then the following week had to go to Cincinnati for uh, the Freezer Bowl, the minus 59 windshield, uh, windshield game at Riverfront Stadium and lost the AFC title game to Boomer Esiason and the Bengals. And that particular team, Mickey Woods, uh, that team, uh, the Bengals went on to the Super Bowl that year, lost to the 49ers in that Super Bowl. Um, I'm sorry, that was not Boomer, Esiason, and Mickey Woods. My fault. That's the Ken Anderson team, uh, uh, Cincinnati team, that won the Freezer Bowl um, over uh, over the Chargers. Uh, the, the, the Bengals got to the Super Bowl later that decade with Boomer Esiason and Nicky Woods. Uh, that was Ken Anderson, great team. Uh, that Cincinnati team nearly beat the 49ers in that Super Bowl, lost 26-21. to Anyway, um, that was the game it reminded me of in the first half. It didn't end up being the game that that game was because Kansas City, you know, coasted. Um, and Mahomes threw for five touchdowns. And I don't know that I've seen a better quarterbacking performance. I've seen quarterbacking performances equal what Mahomes did. I don't know if I've ever seen a better three quarters by one quarterback than the three quarters that Mahomes played. You know, he had all those balls dropped early in the game, still threw for five touchdowns, 321 yards, and basically three quarters. Sort of like two and a half quarters, actually. Um, and uh, and he did it in so many different ways, right? The quick release, the perfect accuracy, the deep ball, the short ball, the running I mean, how many times did we see Mahomes get outside the, the pocket, rolling right, still behind the line of scrimmage, putting the defense into major conflict? Is he going to run? Is he going to throw? And then all of a sudden he would just jog Aaron for like 15, 16, 17 yards, you know? Mm-hmm. He ended up with 53 yards rushing in the game, almost all of them in the final two and a half to three quarters. I don't know. It was one of the better quarterbacking performances I've seen. I mean, he was brilliant. I actually thought Deshaun Watson played well too. Um, but Houston defensively just could not uh, get a stop uh, at all. And maybe they only needed one or two, but they didn't because Kansas City on eight consecutive drives scored points on all of them. Uh, the other thing Mahomes did um, for those um, that that were watching this and heard about it, Mahomes tied Doug Williams for the greatest quarter in NFL postseason history with four touchdown passes. Now, the Doug Williams four touchdown passes came in the Super Bowl and generated a lot more yardage than the Mahomes uh, TD passes did in the second quarter. Um, Doug Williams, you know, as part of that 35 points on 18 plays for the Redskins in that Super Bowl win. 
uh, over Denver. Anyway, the Chiefs get Tennessee. The Titans are much better on defense than Houston is, and they're going to be able to run the ball against the Chiefs. So I do think Tennessee has a chance at Arrowhead on Sunday as a a 7.5-point underdog. And Tennessee's win came in Baltimore, and we'll go to that game next. Um, In, I mean, it, it was really brilliant the way they, first of all, you know, frustrated Baltimore. I think Baltimore, you know, you asked about the Minnesota game plan. Um, I think Baltimore went away from the run too early. Yeah, you know? they panicked. They panicked a little bit and got away from the run. when. Now, I know Tennessee was filling that box with eight, nine players. I, I was watching the game, okay? and it, But Baltimore has run it down everybody's throat all year long. I did not think Lamar Jackson had this horrific game. I, I, I really appreciated the competitiveness that he had. Um, it's the fourth downs, you know, that killed him. You know, the fourth fourth and one in the first half on their on their drive uh down seven nothing. And then the fourth and one at fourteen to six on the first drive of the third quarter. You know, Baltimore's still very much in this game. It's fourteen to six. They're on the move on uh with the second half kickoff. They're down inside the Tennessee twenty yard line and they're faced with a fourth and one and they didn't get it again, and I just didn't love the play call. And I haven't watched the Ravens enough this year to know whether or not there was a lot of sort of quarterback, you know, power runs. Uh, I know, I'm sure there were. That first one, though, it seemed like Lamar just went to the wrong. He didn't follow his blockers. It seemed like there was a hole, and he I just missed it. I think the second it. one looked that way, or and then he turned. The second, yeah, and then yeah. he turned it back in the other direction. Oh, and no, got no, nailed. no, I'm talking about the first one where he just kind of plows into the yeah, line instead of the, following his right. guard. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, the second one, you know, was bad too, and. I would have loved to have seen him have a pitch option there, you know, coming down the line. I, um, but anyway, um, Baltimore's out. I mean, Tennessee, you know, Derrick Henry rushes for, uh, you know, 195 yards on 30 carries. Last week he had the 182, I think it was, against the Patriots on 34 carries. I didn't even think he got it enough. He got it enough in this game. And Tannehill, another game, under 100 yards passing, and they win. First quarterback to win two playoff games with two uh, passing performances of, of of under 100 yards since Terry Bradshaw with the Steelers in the 70s. You got, you know, Ryan Tannehill the last two weeks. I mean, in 2020 NFL playoffs, um, last week he was 8 of 15 for 72 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And on Saturday night he was 7 of 14 for 88 yards. To see those quarterback stat lines, you pretty much have to go back to the 70s to find them. It, you just don't see that anymore. You know, he he's thrown 29 pat. He's completed 15 balls in two weeks. Uh, he, his two week numbers are 15 of 29 for a buck 60. That's a game, and sometimes that's not even a game. But like I said last week, I thought Tannehill played well despite the numbers. I thought he played really well. He had that, you know, after um, after the fourth down stop in the first half, he had the bomb for the touchdown, which was a great throw. Had a couple of other, you know, uh, third down conversion plays. They were 7 of 13 on third down, the Titans were. Um, they have the formula right now. It's one of the formulas. I, I don't like getting into this you know, there's only one formula to win in January. That's not true. We've seen that over the years. The Patriots have won it all sorts of different ways. You know, um, but we do know this. If you can run the football and play good defense, you do have a chance in January on the road. Defense travels and a running game tends to travel. And uh, the, the, the Titans have that right now, man. And Kansas City, I don't think they're very good defensively. Now, 
are you going to be able to match Kansas City? We were thinking the same thing about Baltimore. Let's remember that. You know, it's a different way that Baltimore scores a lot of points, but they were scoring a lot of points, not getting stopped very much. And Tennessee, remember we talked about last week, they need to get ahead. They can't get behind. Well, they did get ahead. Well, what if they get ahead like Houston got ahead? It'll be different for the Chiefs coming back against Tennessee. Derrick Henry is just a monster. A monster. One last thought, two last thoughts on this game. First of all, you know, John Harbaugh and the Baltimore people have really gotten a little bit too analytics, you know, chesty for me. Um this year, you know, we're going to have a conversation one of these days, what analytics even means. People use that term. It sounds like it's fancy, you know, difficult to understand. It's just advanced statistical data, you know, and sometimes based on, you know, historical data and and seasonal data. And, and it, it, a lot to me, a lot of this stuff and a lot of these decisions really are context decisions, not historical decisions to make. They went for two fourth downs or a big going for it fourth down team, and they had been successful successful all year. Here's one thing that I would I would recommend to John Harbaugh and the Ravens who are so smart. Um, know when to call a timeout at the end of the first half. You, you had a yeah, you're on the move down 14 to 3 and you basically limited your team's chance to score a touchdown at the end of the first half because you didn't manage the clock well. There's a play at about a minute to go, a Jackson pass to Sneed um, into Tennessee territory. They've got three timeouts left immediate timeout. Okay. You got to get an immediate timeout after that. You blew 25 seconds, 30 seconds after that play, somewhere in that neighborhood. You could have used that at the end of the half after that big throw to Hollywood Brown, got it down to the four yard line. You ran one play from the four yard line. And that's Lamar Jackson's fault because the first down play, he gets flushed from the pocket. He's running around, running around, burning too much clock. So they kick the field goal in second down. You should have had you know, quick throw on the first uh, down play, a second quick throw, and then you could have, you know, potentially kicked a field goal um, on third down instead of second down. But they didn't manage the clock well. You know, they're really, you know, John Harbaugh, and I love him as a coach. I really do. I think they're always well coached. And I, I think the organization is first class. But they got a little bit, you know, talkative about analytics and how smart they were this year. And they really, really butchered the clock situation and the timeout situation at the end of the first half, which cost them the opportunity to be down 14 to 10 versus what it was 14 to 6 um, at the end of the first half. Um, last night's game, great game. I thought Russell Wilson was going to complete the comeback. If you had Green Bay laying the four and a half, or if you had Seattle plus the four and a half, the two point conversion in that game was everything. Um, and the Packers got a stop. Um, I thought the fumble, I thought there was a clear recovery on the fumble in the first half uh, by Green Bay. I don't know how replay didn't see the clear recovery of the fumble. Um, And then on the Graham play at the end, I didn't think replay really showed a definitive view where he was short of the first down. Um, I thought he was short of the first down, but they called it, you know, they spotted it where they spotted it. And I didn't see a replay that clearly showed it. Apparently the first down uh, yellow mark, uh, yellow line on Fox was a little bit off on that play too. Um, what a game, though. Uh, what throws by Aaron Rodgers on that final drive. Russell Wilson is just so good. I thought when Seattle did get the stop uh, down 28-23 and Russell Wilson got the ball back, I thought they were going to take the lead there with five minutes to go. There was a drop by Turner at midfield. Big, big play in that drive. And then there was a sack 
by Preston Smith, <laughs> you know, on Russell Wilson. I think they would have gone for fourth and five had it been an in- incomplete on third and five. But when Preston Smith sacked him with like three minutes to go, um, it was uh, punt time because they had three timeouts left and they never got the ball back. And Green Bay is on to the title game where they are seven-point underdogs, and I personally don't think that they've got a good chance of beating the 49ers in that defense uh, on the road. Um, I think we're going to see San Francisco in there. Um, I would not uh, I would not definitively pick the winner of the Kansas City-Tennessee game. It would, would not shock me if Tennessee does it again at Arrowhead. I'd rather see Kansas City and Mahomes against the 49ers. That'd be a hell of a Super Bowl. Um, Aaron Rodgers was spectacular when he needed to be last night. Um, and uh, I don't know how they didn't cover Devontae Adams better. You know, that Green Bay lost Kumaro um, in that game. They didn't really have any other options. And Seattle, who has not been a good defensive team this year, just did not do a good job of, of taking the one legitimate threat away. Uh, Adams kept making catch after catch uh, in that game. The 49ers, they'll do a better job, watch, of taking Devontae Adams uh, out of the game or limiting uh, his opportunities. Um so four, you know, games, three of them pretty entertaining. Um, one of them a blowout that started the weekend. Uh, the big takeaways, once again, Derrick Henry and his performance, um, the Titans' performance in particular, and man, Patrick Mahomes and that Kansas City offense when they got behind 24 to nothing. Spectacular. Uh, all right, quick um, mention of mybookie.ag. Want to bet these championship games, college basketball this week, the Super Bowl? Mybookie.ag is reliable, fast payouts, quality lines, lots of ways to play. Um, plus, right now, if you join, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000 or deposit $200, you'll get an extra 1000 or or 100 to play with. You've got to use my promo code. It's KevinDC. It's K-V-I-N-D-C. MyBookie.ag. KevinDC is the promo code to get uh, that deposit matched halfway to your total deposit. All right, let's bring in Stanford Steve from the Scott Van Pelt Show. I urge you to follow him at StanfordSteve82. Follow him on ESPN.com. And, of course, watch him as Scott's partner on the Scott Van Pelt Show. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start the conversation with, Welcome to D.C., brother! Here you come. You're coming south. Um, The announcement came out Friday. For those of you that missed it, Scott is moving back to D.C. after, I don't know, 20 years plus of being, no, more than that. Shit, he moved in 94, 95. He moved to the Golf Channel. I think it was 95. So he's been gone for 25 years. He's moving back to D.C. He's going to do his Sports Center show from Tony and Mike's PTI studio downtown, Stanford Steve's moving with him. So, it, you know, you and I, we've had so many conversations via text and phone over the years. Now we'll get to hang out with each other. Because I can tell you this, I swear to God, our boy, he's yep. antisocial for the most part. So my wife's like, aren't you excited Scott's moving back? I'm like, yeah, I am. It'll be great for him. It'll be great for Stephanie, the kids, the whole thing. But... He doesn't like to hang out with anybody, so it's. I'll probably have more conversations with him on the phone than I do in person, even though he'll be sort of right around the corner. But are you looking forward to it? Absolutely, Kevin. Uh, Thank you again uh, for having me on. It's awesome. Uh, Really, really looking forward to the opportunity that DC brings us. Uh, The one thing I'm I'm a little worried is I'm kind of a bigger guy than Tony and Michael and Scott is too, (laughs) so we're going to need a newer desk. 
in that studio. And uh, I think we might need to blow another wall or two out to to make us fit and uh, look appropriate in that studio, which has been incredible for for what they have done. But uh, no, I'm, I'm absolutely fired up. Uh, have no idea where I'm going to live yet. But um, like I said, the opportunity and, and what what uh, the ability that DC provides us is is is, is awesome, and I can't wait to get 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 there and get settled. You know, it's just the anxiety of a move, and you know, it's, there's a lot of unknown. But I'm not I'm not worried about it because I know it's it, it's a, a, a huge plus. Uh, you know, I have three daughters uh, that are young, and I'm looking forward to raising them down there. You don't really want to move, do you? Seriously. Yes. What about Absolutely. is your wife is your wife up for it too? Uh, Where's she yeah. from? She's from Connecticut. All we oh. were actually from the same hometown, um, uh, little Ansari, Connecticut, twenty thousand people uh, city, uh, right outside New Haven. So um, there's uh, there was you know I, I I said the anxiety of of, of 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 she's you know there's a lot of more unknown on her side, but the 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 promise that DC has just to be able to get out of Connecticut, I, I think is, I mean, there's not a, there's not a better place, uh, you know, school systems and area I mean, benefit from the weather. Uh, things, there's a lot of pluses to get out of from uh, Connecticut. So we're, we're, we're super fired up. You know, um, I mean, our boys wanted to do this for a long time, but you know, I've I've said this to him. I, I I wasn't sure that he would ever do it because he's a major creature of habit, and they like it up there. You know, they really do. So, but it's like anything else. You know, you move, and everybody gets used to it, and then three, four years down the road, you can't see yourself being anywhere but where you are. Um, I think you you guys are going to love it, and it'll be it'll be great to have you guys down here. You know, for those of you who have watched Steve as, as a part of Scott's show, followed him on Twitter, read all of his college football stuff, he and the Bear doing their podcast and doing all their picks over the years. You know, the reason Steve's nickname is Stanford Steve is he played football at Stanford and what and was his senior year in high school one of the highest recruited players in America. I mean, he was – You were you the number one tight end on, like, rivals or, or whatever sites were around at the time? It, it's funny. They, I don't know what happened when we crossed into the uh, the whole dot com era, but there was the, back in the day. This is 1995, 96. Back then, there was uh, one not rivals, you know, not ESPN, Yahoo, anything. There was a there was a magazine called Super Prep, and uh, yeah, I was I was like the number one I think athlete. That, that's when they started uh, <laughs> using that term because I I, I honestly. Uh, wasn't sure what position I was going to play in, in college. It was quarterback, wide receiver, um, you know, tight end, and even some schools wanted me to play like outside linebacker, safety. So, Super Prep coined me as the number one uh, athlete in. Uh, really? So, yeah. So, uh, actually, it's at my uh, mom's house. The, the magazine is somewhere. There is proof. Uh, so that is, but Super Prep. I don't think they never made it to the to the internet. They were just a a magazine. But yeah, that was. Uh, I always hold Super Prep in high regard because of uh, what they thought of me. I know we've had this conversation before, but I don't. I don't think we've done it on the podcast or the radio show. But you were a really good high school basketball player too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually we have our 25th uh, anniversary. Uh, my high school, Ansonia, 
Uh, it's the only state championship um, in, in school history in basketball, uh, 1995. Um, yeah, I was actually a guard on that team. <laughs> we had some we had some unbelievable size, but um, we uh, yeah, 1995. Uh, I was uh, all state or second team, all state, whatever around there. But um, the the big thing in our because our, our league was considered the best league, and I was able to make the the all league, which was only five guys. Um, back in you know the the MVL days, so uh, yeah, that was that, it was a big. It's, I I am a college football player, obviously, but the the high school basketball um, accomplishments are, are I hold them right up there because they're absolutely incredible. And did you get D one offers in hoops? What's that? Did you get D one offers in hoops? Low, low, real low. Uh, Hartford, um, you know, uh, Calhoun actually. Uh, came to watch us play a couple times because there was UConn players that ended up going to UConn in our league, um, but I never got to that level. But it was it was all lower Division One. Um, Cal- Calhoun, I- I'll just tell you this story real quickly. Um, I was at uh, the year that they made that run where they won five games with Kemba Walker to win the yep. Big East title. So I happened to have been in New York that weekend, and I was we went up there for like a long weekend with really good friends. We were staying at the New York Athletic Club, mm-hmm. and um, on that Saturday morning of the Big East final, it was Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. Uh, my buddy and I went down, and we were just playing pickup basketball. There was like you know full court pickup basketball games going on um, in the gym, and uh, you know playing for you know an hour or so. And at the end, we saw the Connecticut basketball team start to walk in to the gym, yeah, because that's where they were practicing. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the PR guy or somebody from UConn comes over and, and walks out onto the floor in the middle of the game and says, you guys have to get off the floor. This game's over. Um, you know, you guys got to go. Uh, the UConn basketball team's here to practice. And I, I said, because I've got a big mouth, I've said, I said something like, dude, we're one bucket away from the, the game winner. You know, we're, we, it's, it, the score's tied. We've been playing. We need one more bucket here. And the guy's, no, 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 go. And then I hear this big booming voice come out of the background and it was Calhoun and he walks onto the floor and he said, what's the score? And I told him what the score was. He said, what are you playing to? And I said, I told him what we were playing to. He said, yeah, you, you guys go finish up. You finish up. We'll just sit, sit here until you're done. I swear to God. And so we finished the game. I mean, it was over like three minutes later. And then he said, as we were walking off the floor, he invited everybody to stay and watch him practice. If we had any interest, which my buddy Jimmy and I did, we sat there yep. and we watched them practice and they were playing Louisville in the the final. They were playing. Um, they, they were playing that Louisville team, which was a pressing team under Patino. And all he was doing for the first thirty minutes, it, it was walkthrough. They weren't practicing because they were on night five, I think. Yep. And all they were working on was their press break. And yep. uh, and it was actually really cool to watch him because I've, I've I love coaching. I've coached hoops for twenty five years, thirty years, twenty five or thirty, something like that. Now, Jesus Christ. Um, but anyway, um, that's my Jim Calhoun story. There you go. Uh, incredible guy, man. Oh, awesome. And that's what the other thing is is people don't even remember when they when UConn really got to go home, even before the national title. He was the pressing guy. Yeah. He was the guy, you know, get the ball out of the hoop after a made bucket and, and let's go. You know, let's let's play fast. So it's just it's it's amazing how it's come full circle. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm googling it. I'm I'm trying to remember what year that was. I think it was two thousand nine. 
I think it was. Maybe it was uh, 2010. Could have been earlier. Uh, yeah, I think they won. They won 2010 and 2014. So that, that was 20. Sense. But 2010 w- would have been Kemba Walker, right? Yes. Yes. And the, and I think it, I think they won five games to win the the thing. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um. It wasn't 2010. Because 2010, West Virginia won it with Huggins. Maybe it was 2011. Uh, you know what? I bet you it was 2011. Did yes. You... Sorry, now that you say it. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, 2011, Connecticut over uh, Connecticut over Louisville in the final. Uh, they won. Yeah, they won on the first night. They won Tuesday night, Wednesday night, yep. Thursday night, Friday, Friday night. Saturday won five games to win the Big East tournament. 2011. Oh, man, and they didn't lose again. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk before we get to the game tonight. In Stanford, Steve's in New Orleans for the championship game tonight. LSU a five-and-a-half-point spot over Clemson. What did you think of the games this weekend? Oof, man. I mean, uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, with a coworker who was really, really uh, um, invested and interested in the Titans. So uh, we watched the game together, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be on, on board there. Um, the <laughs> on board meaning plus the 10 yes. on Saturday night. Uh, actually, money line. Uh, oh, not the, you the money lined it. What, yes. What was it, plus 380? 375. Oh, wow. Jeez. So, but other Good than that, you. it was not a pretty weekend. Uh, I thought the underdogs uh, were the play. And, you know, again, on this divisional weekend, it's amazing how the wild card weekend – where it's underdogs and, and, and unders compares to what the divisional round is with the favorites. And I'm was, I was sort of happy because, you know, those teams, you know, they play all year to get those buys, and three of the four moved on. Um, but I, I actually was impressed with Green Bay. Like, I, I thought that, I mean, it was the typical Russell Wilson game. Um, you knew you were going to have to, you know, hold your butt until the end. And I, I don't know if Rodgers audible to those plays, but the ability to, to move the change, I mean, Adams not going out, of, or I should say Adams going out of bounds was, was uh, an issue late. But um, I, I was impressed with what they did, uh, knowing how all the pressure was on them, seeing him in that atmosphere uh, fold a couple times in his career. That, it was pretty eye-opening to me. I'm now going on the next week, I'm not sure, but uh, – I thought Green Bay, that that was as good of a win as I saw this weekend. Yeah, and the two-point conversion was obviously the difference between <laughs> yeah, between Green Bay. I was on Green Bay laying four and a half. I was on Houston yesterday plus the number, and I was on – The funny thing about the Baltimore game, and this is where you probably roll your eyes, at, you know, when, when Scott and I are like you – know, like you, you would have literally just said, what are you doing last week? All week long I'm talking about how I personally think that Tennessee – is a tough matchup for Baltimore, and I think they've got a legit shot to win the game. But the public was on Tennessee, and there was sharp money on on Baltimore, so I put Baltimore into the smell test laying 10. So, you know, and they really – I mean, they actually – I thought the game was an odd game in that, you know, the two fourth down go-for-its, you know, didn't work out, and they've worked out all season long um, for Baltimore. And those were just crucial plays, especially the one in the third quarter when they were down 14-6 and on the move. You know, if they they get it in there, and even if they miss the two-point conversion, you know, now you got more pressure on Tennessee. But good God, Derrick Henry has been – the story of this postseason. I, I don't. 
I mean, Kevin, you're obviously a fan and, and know the league, you know, as good as anyone I ever talked to. But Vrabel, man, oh, like yeah. this, the 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 identity that he has created with this team is it's so perfectly done when you watch it. Like next week, how how don't you think Henry can run the ball against Kansas City? Like that that's all I can think of after seeing Kansas City do what they did but then come back another week later with all the pressure on them, you know, an, an um, unexpected home game to go to the Super Bowl. You have the Andy Reid factor. You have the Mahomes thing. But, like, Tennessee, you know what you're going to get there. And, I, I mean, he's the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. He played for the Patriots, Ohio State, you know, the whole thing. I just think he's he, – is he going to take another job? Like, the, he's the one – he's the guy that's more fascinating to me than Derrick Henry is. Yeah, I mean, they're you can tell they're really well coached defensively, oh. which they've been. You know, this is they they beat Kansas City earlier in the year when Mahomes was back off the injury. It was his first game yeah. back. Crazy. Um, you know, you were very close. I mean, if if you know Houston didn't win the game, they're up twenty four nothing in the game. But you were very you know potentially close to sort of a Belichick tree game with with O'Brien and Vrabel against a Shanahan, which you do have in the NFC Championship game. You got a Shanahan coaching tree matchup, you know, in 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 Kyle against Lafleur, um, but. Yeah, Vrabel, very, very impressive. Oh. His, his team, and really, since they w- made the move to Tannehill, they're seven and three, or now nine and three with the two playoff wins. I mean, they've been one of the better teams since they switched to Tannehill. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I was wary of them just because when they got on this run, you know, late in the year, you know, they go out to Oakland. They, I mean, give them credit; they won all the games. But I think at, at the regular season ended. They beat two teams that ended up in the playoffs, and it was the Chiefs and the Texans. And that, that, that's why I was kind of like, I don't, I'm not really sure here. But, I mean, like I said, the identity that he has created is so perfectly fit for what they do. And you said the defense is, is really balanced. They, they don't get out-leveraged on the outside. They don't get beat deep. It's just so sound. And, uh, you know, I, I hate saying, you know, have a defense having purity, but they do every phase really well. Uh, I thought it was really cool that Nance uh, on the on the broadcast last week in New England talked about how Belichick came in and said their punter is the MVP. Yeah. Like you never hear that stuff, but in the playoffs, like you just everything needs to you know you need to play well when you get on that stage, and they have done that in every single facet, and that's when I look at a coaching staff and, and, and want to give them credit and, and they totally deserve it. Yeah, and like what you said, I mean, I think for anybody that's watched the first two weekends of these playoff games, it's it's hard to, you know, to talk yourself out of Tennessee being able to run the ball at Arrowhead on Sunday. Yeah. Because they ran it the first time they played the Chiefs earlier this year. Henry had 188 yards. And this dude now has 64 carries in two weeks and, um, you know, 380-something yards or whatever it is. He had, he had a buck 82 uh, on uh, on Saturday night and whatever it was last week. You know, it's three. Yeah, somewhere around yeah. there. Yeah, he's over um, three. So yeah, it was uh, one, I'm sorry, one, it was 195 and 182. So he's got 377 in two weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. 
And uh, Kansas City's not great against the run. They were missing Chris Jones yesterday. I actually thought Houston could have run it more, and I, I, you know, they did run it, you know, halfway effectively. And then they got down and had to throw it for the for the second half. That game, though, yesterday, oh. Mahomes. I don't know if we've ever seen a better performance by a quarterback in a game. I'm sure we've seen plenty that have equaled that. But given the situation of down 24 nothing, the three quarters that he played were just amazing. Both as a both as a thrower and runner. The dude was jogging for 15 yards because yeah. he was threatening that, you know, downfield so so much. It's I mean, I mentioned Green Bay being impressive obviously of the weekend. This game, I just put it in it's totally <laughs> its own category. Um you knew it as soon as the, the fake punt didn't go well. I mean, at least I did when I was watching it. That it was, I mean, I, I thought it was curtains, man. Like, that, that Kansas City offense, you just, everyone always, you know, you, you know the flash plays and the, the, the quick Mahomes, you know, no-look throws, all that. Everything coincided with them just getting a focus and getting the momentum, and that stadium was incredible. And I... I so hard to explain um, to see it turn that fast, but right there, like you said, Mahomes doing whatever he wanted to do uh, and everything. I mean, the ball in their plus territory the whole time. Once it was, tw- I mean, that that fake punt. It, I, I really thought I didn't even look at the live betting thing, but there was no doubt in my mind the Chiefs were going to win that game after that fake punt uh, didn't go well. I talked about it earlier. I actually didn't have a problem with the um, the fake punt attempt. They didn't execute it well. The guy Sorensen uh, made a great play on Reed. Uh, the play, yeah. if, if he if he's able to elude um, uh, uh, Sorensen, I mean, that thing's out at the 50-yard line, and that, yep. that little momentum that Kansas City had with the touchdown and then the three and out is is taken back a little bit. I actually thought it was a risk worth taking um, in that particular spot. But, it, you know, once they got stopped and they scored, you know, two plays later or whatever it was, it's like, oh, my God, it's 24-14, to 14, yeah. and there's still, like, nine minutes to go in the first half. It was It was the ultimate <laughs> they scored too soon. It really was like look at how fast they scored. Block punt, yeah. first drive or second drive goes right down the field. Um, it was oh man, it, it was, was a college first half, you know, unbelievable. Because in the no NFL, effect to the max. Yeah, it's like the NFL because the games tend to be shorter with fewer plays, the clock stops less. You don't usually have an opportunity to come back from twenty-four nothing down. You see it all the time as we do, you know, on Saturdays with you know yep. boatload of points and you know it's thirty-five, thirty-one at halftime. I mean, um, yesterday twenty-eight, twenty-four at halftime is a great game. All right, um, real quickly before we get to the game tonight, so uh, Kansas City's a seven and a half point favorite mm-hmm. against. 10 Tennessee, do you like the game? And if so, how would you play it? You don't have I, to play it. I'm I'm taking the seven and a half. I, I, I think I, so too. I get it. I get it. Um, but like I said, the identity. I just feel like I know I'm going to get uh, Kansas City. I mean, they answered the bell. I mean, it was one possession. They had the ball and they were down fourteen nothing. Um, but the 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 idea of how different. Uh, Tennessee does things from even to Houston and you know teams that Kansas City's played. I just I like it and I think most importantly it travels. Like that defense is going to travel to Kansas City. And I mean you take Tyreek Hill, you just you know coincide with just don't give up the shots over the top and keep everything in front of you. 
and I think Mahomes is still going to press uh, a little too much. So I, I would take the seven and a half. Yeah, that's the way I'd lean right now. I also now. think the over. I like the over, too. What, what is that number, 51? 51, 51, I believe. Yeah. Uh, that's the one thing I did like um, yesterday and w- w- would have been right about. Uh, I did lean uh, over in that game. I thought there would mm-hmm. be points. Because I don't think Kansas City defensively is very good. No. Um, I mean, they got two edge guys. But yeah. secondary, I mean, I love Matthew. But, I mean, as long as you can protect and, and give yourself a chance, there's plenty of holes out there. Um, what about the NFC game? 49ers are a seven-point favorite uh, in Santa Clara against the Packers. Uh, that one, that one's a little tougher to me because of the, you know, we saw this game in prime time. I mean, I think it was a Sunday night, yeah. not a Monday night earlier this year. And I mean, the Niners just gave them a dose. Like they, they offensively, defensively, they couldn't protect Rodgers. Um, and, and Bosa, you know, you really saw what he's capable of doing. That 49er defensive line is, is incredible. It's amazing how that story, you know, their defense coordinator is uh, solid. He's, he's mentioned for every job. And I just think it's funny. He has, like, he has two all pros on the defensive line. You know, like if it's any other defense coordinator, they're also getting mentioned for whatever head coaching jobs are open. Right. Uh, but that, I mean, hey, that's a credit to them. Uh, John Lynch has been absolutely incredible with the pickups and the moves that they made. Uh, Kittle is the best tight end in football. I, I, I try and keep that as a as a close ranking, being a former tight end to me. But he is past Kelsey. Um, it's not even close. He's in his own category with the ability he has to to run, block, catch. Um, he's, he's, I just haven't seen it. It's, it's unbelievable to watch him. Uh, I feel bad when I'm watching Niner games because I'm not even watching the ball. I watch him uh, because he is so good at what he does. But I, I, think, I think Green Bay's got a lot of work to do. And uh, I just think this, the, the Niner thing, is, the, in, in, a, in its totality, they have everything. Um, you want a pass rush. You want balance on, in the pass game. The one thing I will say is, you know, it's it's easier to say after it happens, but they're in that Ravens category that the only uh, thing you can think of in order to beat is you got to get out early and, and put a little pressure on Garoppolo, as we saw um, the Titans do to Lamar when he did he throw the ball over fifty times. I yeah. thought I saw it was who like, who Jackson. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, well, yeah. well over so fifty. Yeah, that that's that's the recipe. I just. I don't know if, if Rodgers has the patience um, to do that. And, you know, Jones has, has been incredible for the Packers. I think he's their team, team MVP. But in, and when you look at the thing and it's, whole, and it's the whole thing, I just I don't know if the, the Packers have enough. I call them the worst two seed we've ever had in, in the league. So that's that's where I am with them before the playoffs started. You know, you talk about, and I, I mentioned it earlier in the show, about the um, 40, the 49er um, just absolute mauling of the Packers on that Sunday night, and I think it was in November, um, was such a dominant performance. And before Saturday, it was the last time they had been healthy defensively. You know, they got D Ford back. They got Tart back. They got yep. K1 Alexander back for, for Saturday's game. Those guys had been out for a while, and they had not played 
played great defense since that win over the Packers. I mean, they gave up to you know gave up forty six against the Saints. Mm-hmm. You know, they had been moved on, and Saturday was back to them at full strength. And when the, when they were full strength against the Packers, they held Aaron Rodgers to basically seventy four yards passing. In a Aaron Rodgers yeah. to seventy four yards passing, and then he had a garbage thirty yard passing drive down thirty seven to eight in the fourth quarter before they pulled him on uh, before the uh, final drive. He got sacked five or six times. I mean, it was it wasn't Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I remember after that game, people were like, "Is that San Francisco or is that Rodgers deteriorating?" No, it was the San Francisco defense. They're mm-hmm. dominant. I, I, I don't I don't think the Packers have a chance. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I still can't believe the over didn't come in in that Niners Vikings game Saturday. <laughs> well, I mean, fourteen seven like that. I was good to go, and then yeah, nothing. Yeah, it was fourteen ten at halftime. Um, all yeah. right, let's let's get to the game tonight. You're in New Orleans. First of all, I did read this story about the bad weather down there and Dabo having to, you know, practice in their hotel while LSU was getting the Superdome to practice. That doesn't seem, you know, very fair for a, for a national championship game. What happened there? Uh, well, I, I tell you right now. I mean, if you if you watched any of the you know ESPN NFL countdown shows. This weekend, we were, I, I was here. I got here Friday, and I was doing TV hits in the early afternoon. And then, you know, word got in. I mean, it was it was a tornado, and actually, it, it ended up. And then they moved. We have all these sets outside on balconies, out on porches of, of, of the big buildings. You know, down in Jackson Square, it's an awesome setup. It's my favorite city for an event, oh, yeah. uh, just because of the ability to walk everywhere. Um, but then, the, you know, this news comes in of tornado winds, and they moved everything in. Like, Countdown was inside on Saturday. Uh, basically, they, they constructed the, the office and, and redid everything. So, um, you know, I, people can read into it, though. Everything is already designated when you are coming to this game, you know, as far as your facilities, your hotels, um, you know, where you're staying, the whole the whole thing. So I don't read too much into you know, you're already in the walk-in, uh, the walk-through phase when you get here. You're not really, you know, getting after it in practice. So I, I didn't think that was too much of a big deal. Will LSU have a significant home field advantage tonight? <laughs> really fun. I keep bringing this up with people that uh, that I've worked with that were here in, in 2011. 2011, obviously, was the rematch, LSU and Bama. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, 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 I was actually talking to LSU people yesterday. I still think that is the most impressive resume I've ever seen in a regular season college football. And the the idea that they had to play Bama again just wasn't I, not fair, but it just it's it's it, it does you 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 look back and, it, and that season doesn't get its due. Um, so you know, in that game, I was, I was talking to people. I'm like, I thought Bama had more people here than LSU, and all the LSU people were really quick to point out, like, we didn't have one thing to cheer for in that game. Yeah, it was 21 nothing. Yeah, right. They, never was, came it, close to they didn't get the ball over the 50 yard line until the fourth quarter. Um, so that that kind of made sense to me. Um, but that's the most people I've ever seen here in the city when with that game. Um, LSU does have uh, a more more presence here, obviously, and I think it's only going to increase today as you know a majority of their fans could just drive into the city today uh, for the game. Yeah, that twenty, the twenty eleven title game was the year oh. where it was the nine to six regular season game, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, the uh, yeah, you know, sometimes these things get overrated. You know, in terms, of, I mean, Clemson's going to get their fair share of tickets, and they've got, you know, they got a fan base that travels big time, and they won it last year. Um, but it, it it's not like you're walking into the Superdome to face the Saints, you know, tonight. You know, if you're Clemson, in terms of the crowd, I don't think. Um, any chance this game? St- how does this game stay under sixty eight? Uh, uh, you know that, that that I thought I I think it's an absolutely perfect number. The one thing I was thinking about was um, I was out at the Fiesta Bowl for Clemson in Ohio State, right? And you, uh, you dropped a pass on the sideline that was thrown. I to did. Him. I yeah. did. Thanks for reminding mm-hmm. me. There's video out there for the people that are listening if they want to go look at it. Um, anyway, it was everyone seemed to say. You know, after Clemson wins that game, oh, Ohio State would have been a better matchup or a tougher matchup for LSU. And I totally disagreed because if you're going to beat LSU, and obviously Clemson's here to do it tonight, you have to outscore them. You have to keep pace with them. And Clemson's way more capable of that than Ohio State was, I think, um, offensively. Trevor Lawrence showed me – I I can't tell you how impressive – he was on on the field in that game, getting up off the deck, time after time. You know, everybody's you know talking about Chase Young, um, and how he didn't have any sacks, but he knocked Lawrence down. I, I would say oh, he was a factor seventy percent of his throws. Yeah, right. Um, I, I, I heard that too, and I I don't know if I've mentioned it actually in the podcast. I, I had so many Redskin fans tweeting me, "Oh, your boy Chase Young, who I'm a huge fan of, and I'd like to see uh, him pick at number two. He was non-existent." I'm like, "What game were you watching?" Yeah. You know, there's so many people that'll that'll read a box score and tell you that somebody played poorly. He was a factor the entire night in that game. But go ahead. I, I, I can't agree more. I, I, I know it's the Bengals, and I know Joe Burrow's from Athens, Ohio. I still think Chase Young should be the number one pick. It's, it, that guy, I, I, I went out specifically, Kevin, before the game, an hour before, to watch him do. I was at the Big Ten title game also, and I did the same thing. Just to watch him go through the we call it individual period, you know, in pregame, where just the D-line is down in the corner in the end zone, and they're working on all their moves and their technique and, and, and getting loose. And I'm telling you, right, if there was a Greek god sculpture of football, it's Chase Young. Yeah. And I know you guys are, are familiar with Was he on the same DeMatha team as, as Fultz? I don't think so. It's, okay. Was Markel Fultz a... Chase, Chase Young is now in his third there, season. There are definitely pictures that have popped up over the past week yeah. or two with them together at DeMath. You know, I don't know yeah, if, if, I think if was someone that, was visiting or what. Fultz was only there one year, right? Uh, well, he was. He, Fultz actually didn't make the. It wasn't on the Dematha varsity team until his junior year. Yeah, okay. um, which is the which is his story. I you know I saw Markel Fultz play multiple times in high school, and I'm not remembering whether or not Chase Young was on that team. I'm going to look it up because that would have been the twenty um, that 2016 DeMatha team. Um, I'll look it up, but but keep going. No, I, I so. Getting back to this, you know, you're, you're talking about the under. I, I don't see it, but I will say this. I, after the game, it was one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, you know, I just got Dabo on with, with Van Pelt, and I'm walking back to the office to get my bag. And Kevin Wilson, the defense, or I should say the offense coordinator of Ohio State, is talking to Brent Venables, 
the defense coordinator for Clemson. Venables is still in his coaching attire. Wilson already, you know, a losing team wants to get out of there. He's got a suit on, carrying his bag. And Wilson, they're talking, they're going through the game, and it was just fascinating to watch. And right at the end, Wilson just, you know, he's he's walking away, and he turns back, and he's like, hey, Brent, just one thing. You threw everything you had at me, right? He's like, I just wanted to make sure I got it. <laughs> and Venables takes his hat off, and he's like still wiping sweat off his head. He's like, Oh yeah, he goes. I emptied the bag a lot earlier than I wanted to. So that I mean, that was it, 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 its own thing because of how Ohio State dominated the first half, and, and Clemson had to do things. So I, I, it gets back to me: if, if, if Clemson has the ability to keep pace with LSU, and I, I mean, you got to think the over here. Um, the one thing I will say is if Burrow really wants to figure out, because I think Venables is. Is going to come out with a three-man front. I think he's going to play like a, a four-guy front with one linebacker in the box just to try and slow, you know make Burrow think about it. So I, I I was thinking about like the first quarter under, just because I think Burrow does have the patience to see like all right, what the hell is he trying to do to me here? You know, playing like eight guys in the back and, and stuff like that. But that's that's the only part of the under I I can really think of because I think once these teams get warmed up and cooking, um, they're, they're, they're going to be going at it. I have, I've, I've never been this excited for a title game since probably SC Texas uh, back in the day at the Rose Bowl. But this, this one, with the offensive talent and the NFL talent we have at the skill positions of wide receiver and running back on both sides, is, I, I think it's setting up for a classic. Uh, Chase Young and Markel Fultz were on that 2015-2016 um, uh, team. Um, and you were there and you don't remember it. Well, you know why? Because Chase, because Chase Young didn't get a lot of run um, on those DeMatha teams. Um, <laughs> I do. I will tell you this. I do remember saying um, uh, when, when it started to become apparent that Fultz was going to be a lottery pick, I remember saying to some of my, my friends here locally who are coaches, are you kidding me? Like I don't, I don't, I don't see that at all. But, um, but, but he was. He was the top pick in the draft, and and he's actually, I think, had some moments um, this year. I mean, you talk. Oh, about he's having it. a good year, man. I'm yeah, he's a, having a good I'm year. Actually, happy for him. Yeah, I'm happy where for him he too. was, man. That, exactly. that, that, that's that's tough to do. Yeah, it was psychological. I mean, there Oof. was there were a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on there. Um, the uh, you know the, that Ohio State the game that you were at I yep. really still to this you know two weeks later two and a half weeks later believe that Ohio State was the better team and just every break every call you know basically went against them. With that said, what Trevor Lawrence did on that final game winning drive was just sensational and it was his moment. You know I mean we've heard and I think at times watching Trevor Lawrence there have been games where I haven't been blown away but I was blown away that night and you're right they can match them but more importantly you know Clemson defensively and we can talk about the competition all year long um, but this will be I mean, LSU's faced some really good defensive teams this year. Don't get me wrong. Clemson's, you know, Clemson's level of defense will be certainly um, different than what they faced in Oklahoma by a long shot. No, no doubt about it. And the the biggest issue, I, I thought LSU was a great matchup against Oklahoma. But the one thing I kept thinking about and, and scared me off of, you know, taking them in that game was – I didn't, you know, we call it the banquet tour. You know, uh, you know, Burrow's going to the Heisman. He's going to the College Football Awards. Right. You know, they have all these guys getting their individual awards. You know, uh, you know, Blitnikoff and 
and Delpit winning the Jim Thorpe and Orgeron winning the um, Coach Award. You know, how are they going to come out in that Peach Bowl? And I was stunned at how accurate and how precise Burrow was. And I, I understand Oklahoma's not the best defense, but to still to have the ability to just come out and do that and be that good in that first half just showed me a lot and how um, you know intense he is in his preparation and getting himself ready. So that's what I'm really looking forward to here is how does the LSU offense come out because they're going to face somebody that is trying to do something um, that has a collection of, of what they you know everybody try to do. You know everybody keeps bringing up the Auburn game and how Auburn. I just I, LSU didn't play well that day. You know, and I I thought Auburn has has the best defense in the country, um, but that 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 idea of of seeing that, but Clemson's ability of trying to replicate, you know, what everyone did. Uh, Florida people keep bringing up, you know, um, you know Georgia tried playing the three guys down, you know, before the snap, and then changing the look when Burrow went to the sideline for the call. Um, it's it's just fascinating uh, to to see what happens. It's just. And, and, and you know, like Venables, he deserves all the credit in the world of, of what he's done. But he does have some NFL talent. So that's where, that's where the matchup to me lies, is, is, is what Clemson can do to slow down. They're not going to stop LSU because I'm, I'm penciling them in for 28. Like, there's no doubt to me that LSU scores at least 28 points tonight. But what can they do to slow down and, and, and get Lawrence on the field for as much as possible? You know, in thinking about the times at LSU, you know, where, where they could have been beaten this year. I mean, obviously, Bama had a chance. Um, yeah. The Auburn game, just trying to think back to it, Auburn, I never really felt like they had a chance. The, the score ended up being was it twenty three twenty or twenty to seventeen, whatever it was. It was not a. It was not. It was a lower scoring game, mm-hmm. but it, but Auburn was down ten, I think, and scored one late. Yeah, the game that I really thought. That they, if they, they had played this game again, remember Florida the night they played LSU, they were missing two of their yep. best defensive players in that game. Yep. Two and, defense yeah, and and I and I thought in Florida was right there. You know, it was it was uh, it was a one score game. You know, tie game. I think at one point it was twenty one twenty one and a half or twenty eight twenty eight and a half. I forget yep. what it was. Um, that was the one game more than any other. And I mean, we you know we all watch all these games. You get to see every LSU game. I think if if Florida had been healthy that night, that may have been a different story. That's the only time I felt like they were actually in trouble, other than the Bama game. I'm talking about other than Bama. Yeah. No, the the Bama game was, you know, you knew that was coming full circle. They were just, you know, they had they jumped out early. Tua was going to get the momentum, you know, that 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 that's in its own own category. Um but I mean, I'm I'm, I'm giving yeah. them all the credit cuz I still think that's without a doubt the best win we've seen in college football this season. The the win over Alabama. Yeah. yeah. Um it was impressive. All right. Um let you run here, but just so are are you did are you on record here uh, with 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 an actual pick on either the side or the total? Yes, I am on Clemson. I think uh, LSU wins thirty six thirty three. I will take the points. I, I I mentioned it before. I think Clemson has the goods to keep pace. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of pressure uh, with LSU in this building. Uh, we talked about the fan base and, and, and what the building uh, should be, you know, expecting it to be, you know, a, a, a pseudo home game for LSU. Um, the over-under is, 
like I said, I just think the first quarter you're going to know right there if if people are into the live betting thing. I would I would look at that. You know, if if Clemson really wants to do all these quarterback runs that they did against Ohio State, which they were fortunate enough to be able to still do because Ohio State had to kick field goals in the in the beginning of yep. that game. That was the difference in the game. Of course. Then um then that then you know that's for you. But uh, I, I I was blown away. With how good uh, Lawrence was, I, I'm getting killed all week down here because I said I would rather have Lawrence than Burrow, so that's not going over too well with the locals down here. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, you know, it 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 Lawrence, I, I just I was blown away at what he did, man, in that Fiesta Bowl. Like I said, getting up off the deck, getting hit every time he threw the ball, the quarterback runs. You saw the long one he broke off. Oh God! Four, with and the speed. Four, and then everything, all the pressure in the world on him in four plays, 94 yards, like just that's, that, that's not normal stuff, man. I, I think he's pretty special. So I'm gonna, I, I think the points are, are worth taking. Uh, it, it jumped to six right after it opened. Uh, I want to say like four days after the number opened. And um, I, was, I, I bought it up to seven and a half. Uh, I paid minus 140 for that. So I feel really good about about Clemson uh, there with seven and a half. But obviously, what do we have? Five and a half. You, wait, so? you bought it from what to what? You, wh- wh- where did you buy it from? Six to seven I and a half. From, I bought it from six to seven and, and a it half. And also, it, it only cost you minus one forty. Minus one forty or minus one fifty? I think. Wow, I think. that's yeah. actually a bargain. That's that's in that's inexpensive. I thought it was a no brainer to cross over the number. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, I would have. I, I don't think I would have bought it to seven and a half. I would have just bought it to seven. But it would have cost me at least minus one forty, minus one fifty to buy it yeah. to seven. Um, so you, you know, the price is good on that. Um, all right. Um, enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for the time. Uh, looking forward to you moving down here. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Steve. Yes, anytime, Kevin. I I really appreciate it. Stanford Steve, uh, everybody. Um, follow him on Twitter too, and watch all of his stuff. I mean, Stanford Steve eighty two on Twitter. He's co-host of the Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast, um, and obviously he has been Scott's you know sidekick on um, Scott's Sports Center uh, since it launched the Midnight Sports Center um, show. Um, it'll be good to have uh, him in town. He's such a good guy. Uh, all right, um, wanted to finish up with a few things that we haven't touched on. Uh, I want to start with this. I, I Bill Cower into the Hall of Fame, if you missed this, um, it was presented to him during the CBS pregame show before Saturday night. And then Jimmy Johnson, it was presented to him yesterday on the Fox pregame show. I actually thought Jimmy Johnson was already in the Hall of Fame. I didn't realize that Jimmy Johnson wasn't in the Hall of Fame. And I don't even know that the, you know, and I said this this morning, I think, I don't even know the differences between Jimmy Johnson and some of the Hall of Fame coaches. To me, Jimmy Johnson is a Hall of Fame coach. Like, I just think that his, what he did in Dallas and then even in Miami briefly, you know, at the end, Jimmy to me is an innovator. He's one of the all-time smart um, guys, uh, combined coaches and personnel guys, you know, of the last 35, 40 years of the NFL, 30 years of the NFL. I, I guess I just thought Jimmy was in the Hall of Fame, didn't realize he wasn't. The, the only reason that I did know that is because he's, uh, he's always my, or he was my go, one of my friend always said, oh, Tony Dungy's in and then Bill Cowher's in, why isn't Jimmy Johnson in? Well, Bill Cowher wasn't in until this right, weekend. Well, that, but he really yeah. went off on Saturday when yeah. Bill Cowher so, was announced. So, you know, Bill Cowher, to me, is 
Mike Shanahan light. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. I know all of you know that mm-hmm. I'm a big Mike Shanahan fan, and you know, and I've developed a, a friendship with him over the years. I don't understand how Bill Cow- Cowers in the Hall of Fame. And Mike Shanahan isn't. Now, his regular season record and playoff record are better than Shanahan's. Shanahan's got two Super Bowl victories, you know. And, by the way, one is a coordinator, too, in San Francisco. And Cowher's got the one Super Bowl, you know. And, by the way, that season they beat Denver in the championship game. Denver also beat um, uh, Pittsburgh in an AFC championship game back in 97. But Shanahan's influence on the game, you know, in his coaching tree, and Cowher's probably got a decent coaching tree, I'm assuming, too. I don't know that he doesn't. Um, you know, uh, let's see. Um, it, it can't be Shanahan's coaching tree, right? Because uh, Cowher came off of the Marty Schottenheimer coaching tree. And to me, Marty Schottenheimer was a better coach than Cowher. Cowher's a, let me just be clear on this. I think Bill Cowher was an excellent coach. An excellent coach. Teams always well coached. Um, I just don't know if it was a Hall of Fame career. And if we're going to get into his versus other guys that aren't in, I think Shanahan and Schottenheimer should have been considered for the Hall of Fame if Cowher's in the Hall of Fame. It goes to show you that if you stay in sort of the spotlight, the media spotlight, mm-hmm. you just seem to have a better chance as you get older. How about Holmgren and Dick Vermeil? If we're putting Cowher in, they're pretty comparable to him as well. And in Holmgren's case, you talk about a tree. Yeah. You know, and an influence on the game. You know, this weekend, you've got somebody from the Holmgren tree in Andy Reid against somebody from the Belichick tree in in Vrabel, and then two from the Shanahan tree in the NFC. You know, in LaFleur. Yes. How many from the Cowher tree are uh, we're in the playoffs this year? In the playoffs, none. So, th- by the way, his his tree. Uh, just I, I pulled up Wikipedia. Bruce Arians, Dom Capers, Chan Gailey. Dom Capers, right? Jim Hazlitt, Dick LeBeau. Bruce Arians is a good is a good guy off of yeah. that. Yeah. Marvin Lewis, Mike Malarkey, and Ken Wisenhunt. Marvin Lewis. Yes. Marvin Lewis coached in Pittsburgh with Cower. Uh, he did. Let's see when. Yeah, he was the linebackers coach. Okay. For a number of years. Got it. Um. I guess I did know that because really, you know, for whatever reason, I'm thinking, you know, most Cowers' first year was replacing Chuck Knoll, which would have been 91 or 92. And that's when Lewis came yeah. as linebackers coach. Okay. Um, so who did you, who else did you mention there at the end? Uh, Marvelous Mike Malarkey and Ken Wisenhunt. Ken Wiz- okay, coaching-wise, Ken Wisenhunt's probably off that tree, but Ken Wisenhunt played for Gibbs. Um, but anyway, um, Cowher's a great coach. Mike Shanahan's regular season record, I looked it up earlier, and playoff record is less than Cowher's. I just think Shanahan's ultimate influence, you know, which we're still seeing to this very day with the zone run scheme and everything, you know, the boots off of it and the play action off of it and that style of offensive football. I mean, he was an innovator. He was. Um, And he's, you know, you're seeing his influence continue. You saw it on big time display all weekend. The Minnesota-San Francisco game was a Shanahan game. Kyle, his son, against Kubiak, you know, essentially not the coordinator, but the assistant head coach. Coach offensive consultant for Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota. Um, and then obviously the, the LaFleur uh, influence uh, as well. Anyway, I wanted to mention that. Uh, also wanted to talk a little bit of college basketball um, on this show before we wrap it up for the day. So Maryland lost Friday night at Iowa, and they scored 49 points. 
Um, oh God, some of you Maryland fans, you just have to stop. When they lost to Seton Hall, I think I told you, Aaron, there are going to be some nights where we're going to think we're really good, and there are going to be some nights that really do, that where we do the Maryland basketball fan thing and we say we stink. Okay, the, in the Big Ten in particular, this is going to happen. Maryland had a terrible night Friday night against a team that was desperate in Iowa. They had lost, I think, three in a row. They were home Friday night. They're a decent team. They threw a lot of multiple zone defenses in particular at Maryland. Maryland did not run good zone offense against Iowa, and even when they had open shots, they didn't make any. They were 4 for 22 from behind the arc, and they were 11 for 20 from the uh, on the from the free throw line. Anthony Cowan was 3 for 7 from the free throw line. Okay, it was the worst game he's played in 3 years. And they just got manhandled, and they got beat up by a Big 10 team on the road. That's going to happen. You know what happened yesterday? A team that scored 37 points against Illinois, Purdue, uh, a week and a half ago, and lost by like 30 against Illinois, beat Michigan State yesterday by 30 points, 29 points, and held Michigan State to 42 points. So now, if you're a Michigan State fan, do they stink? I mean, they had won nine in a row or whatever coming in. Do they stink because they scored 42 points against a Purdue team that scored 37 a couple of weeks ago? It's just the nature of conference play, the best conference, which is the Big Ten this year. There is no argument this year. The Big Ten was the best league last year. It is the best league again this year. I mean, you're going to be shocked at how many teams end up in the NCAA tournament from the Big Ten. It's a long way to go. Wouldn't surprise me if nine or ten teams from the Big Ten end up in the big dance. Maryland played awful. Awful. They have struggled at times with teams that are really active and play good zone defense and multiple zone defenses, which is what Iowa did. I could sit here and go through some of the ways they attack a zone that are absolutely puzzling to me. Um, you know, it's been explained to me that it's sort of the Larry Brown way of attacking some zone defenses and Turgeon's off that Larry Brown tree. Um, Maryland's had nights when they've been very good with their zone offense. They were terrible the other night with their zone offense. Wisconsin will play a lot of man-to-man. I actually think Maryland will play well tomorrow night in a bounce-back game against a Wisconsin team that's played pretty well. Um, But anyway, Maryland's going to be just fine, people. They're going to be just fine. They're going to go to the tournament. Okay, people telling me they're not going to the NCAA tournament. No. That's stupid. They're going to the NCAA tournament. I, I guess there is a chance they won't go. Like if they, you know, go sub 500 in the league, I guess they wouldn't go um, to the tournament. Although sub 500 may may still be good enough. But anyway, um, so I wanted to mention um, that. And then I wanted to mention the streak that finally came to an end. (laughs) Because as a lifelong ACC basketball fan until Maryland moved to the Big Ten, I'm very familiar with with Clemson getting beaten every year at North Carolina. 59 times Clemson basketball had played in Chapel Hill, and they had lost all 59 until Saturday. 
North Carolina is terrible this year. I mean, this is a bad North Carolina team. Roy, we talked about last week, Roy you know, making the comments about this is the least talented team he's ever coached. Um, they had lost uh, several games at home coming in. They had lost the game to Georgia Tech, a game they trailed 36-8 to at one point in the Dean Dome. They lost a pit last week at home, and then they played Clemson. And they were actually playing well for the first they time in a while. They were up 10 with two minutes left in the game. And they blew it. The game went to overtime, and Clemson finally. I mean, if that, it, it's a, you know what's really remarkable about this? Is Clemson's had some good basketball teams over the years. You know, they're, they for years in the ACC were the football first school. You know, it was Clemson and Florida State were the two football first schools. Everybody else, be, and I'm talking about before the ACC expanded here in recent years and changed dramatically. Clemson and Florida State were always the two football first schools. Every other school, you know, the four Carolina schools, North Carolina, NC State, Wake and Duke, basketball schools. Maryland, basketball first school. Virginia really for the most part, has been more of a basketball first school, even though they love their football. Georgia Tech, ah, that may have been one that was sort of equal football and basketball. Um, But Clemson's had some really good teams over the years. Rick Barnes coached them in the 90s. They they had some really good teams. It, It is one of those streaks where it's one thing if you're a terrible team, you know, forever, but you know, you had some teams, man. You had some well-coached teams. Rick Barnes, you had Bill Foster, not the Duke Bill Foster in the 70s. Some good teams. Oliver Purnell, couple of decent teams at, at Clemson. And Brad Brown, Brownell, who's now been there for 10 years. That's amazing. Or I think this is 10 years. It might be his 10th year this year. I actually have always thought that Brownell was a decent coach. He's taken his team to a few tournaments over the years. Um, not a lot. Um, and they're not a great team this year. It's just amazing that a team like Clemson in basketball, who's had good teams, never could win at Carolina. Well, they finally got it done. They won the game in overtime after, as Aaron mentioned, rallying from 10 down to win that game uh, in overtime. So good for them uh, to finally end that streak. Um, all of the non uh, North Carolina and Duke fans in the ACC, we were always sort of part of a club. You know, it's like Duke and Carolina and then everybody else. And really, it was Duke and Carolina. And, you know, Maryland still to this day is the third, like I'm taking pride in that, but is the third all-time winningest program in ACC basketball history. Um, but, you know, it was never on par with Duke and Carolina. And, you know, the Maryland and the NC States and the Wakes and the Virginias and the Georgia Techs and the Clemsons, Always, you know, those two games on your schedule every year, you know, four times, you know, two against Carolina, two against Duke. Those were always big opportunities, and Clemson could never get it done at home against North Carolina. All right, um, that does it for today except for this. Uh, A smell test pick for tonight. Give me Clemson plus the five and a half. I'll take Clemson plus the five and a half. It's an anti-public play. The public's definitely leaning heavily on LSU. I'll take Clemson plus the five and a half. The smell test went one and two over the weekend, had Baltimore, even though I thought Tennessee could win the game. Crazy. Um, I know. Uh, been a rough year for the smell test. Uh, we still have a chance working our way back, you know, here over the final. How many football? There are only four football games left. But, you know, this weekend I could have two games and two totals and then the Super Bowl, the game and the total. Who knows? Um, but you can anyway, always bet the Pro Bowl. Always bet the Pro Bowl, but I and won't. And then the XFL. I won't. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I had um, Baltimore, and then I had Houston, and then Green Bay was a winner, minus the four and a half. Give me Clemson tonight, plus the five and a half. All right, uh, thanks to Stanford Steve for being on the show. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to all of you. Have a great day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.